Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. The Republican Institute for Racial Equality, founded in 1863, left dormant in 1963, burned to the ground in 2016 by Tiki Torch's complicity and President Trump's Twitter account. The Bronx, also known as the exotic foreign country from which Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came from. And the President Donald J. Trump Foundation for rebranding the Statue of Liberty. If your huddled masses don't like being tired and poor, they can leave. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And our voices are weak but reassuring, like the House resolution condemning President Trump's racist tweet. Our top story this week... President Trump was officially condemned by the House of Representatives for his racist tweet suggesting that four congresswomen of color go back to where they came from. Before voting on the House resolution condemning President Trump's racist tweet, which was literally titled, The House Resolution Condemning President Trump's Racist Tweet, Speaker Nancy Pelosi violated House rules by calling President Trump's racist tweet a racist tweet ahead of a vote condemning President Trump's racist tweet as a racist tweet. To help us wade through these preposterous rules, Barely Audible Whisper turns to preposterous rules correspondent, Void Where Prohibited. Hello, I'm Void Where Prohibited, and since using my original legal name was Void Where Prohibited, I legally changed my original legal name to Void Where Prohibited to make it less confusing. Every single member of this institution should join us in condemning Trump's racist tweets. And speaking of confusing, Nancy Pelosi's straightforward condemnation of President Trump's racist tweet before a vote condemning Trump's racist tweet set off an obscure and confusing procedural battle over a procedural precedent so obscure that its origins lie in the Thomas Jefferson Manual of Parliamentary Procedure drafted in 1801. Sally Hemings, my slave and lover, it may shock you to learn that I did something a bit hypocritical today. What? You, the slave owner who wrote We Hold These Truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal do something hypocritical? That's impossible for me to imagine. I myself was as genuinely shocked as you are, but... I wrote a manual on parliamentary procedure. Fascinating. And despite having drafted the Declaration of Independence, which so severely admonished the abuses of the king, and my fervent defense of the unfettered freedom of speech, I wrote a presidential rule into my manual, which I borrowed from British legal traditions regarding mandated respect for the king, which states that, quote, Personal abuse, innuendo, or ridicule of the president is not permitted. As your slave, I must ask your permission to agree that drafting an obscure rule that opposes decorum into parliamentary proceedings is the most hypocritical violation of your commitment to liberty you have ever committed. Indeed it is, but sometimes in a democracy one must compromise. One must be willing to meet his opponent one half of the way. Or three-fifths of the way. 
The precedential rule established by Jefferson to preserve decorum persists to this day. Having been updated most recently by a Republican Congress in 2016, following the election of President Trump, to include a specific prohibition against calling the president racist. I think we all know why we need to prohibit calling the president a racist. So without making me say it out loud, let's go ahead and just make that a new rule of decorum. So, Speaker Pelosi's statement that Every single member of this institution should join us in condemning Trump's racist tweets would appear to be a clear violation of the rule, but of course, nothing is a clear anything anymore. The statement condemning Trump's racist tweet was not a statement condemning Trump personally as a racist, but rather a statement condemning Trump's actions as racist. And condemning the actions of a president is a legitimate function of Congress. Republicans responded to the Democrats' thoughtful hair-splitting with a thoughtful argument of their own. Ultimately, the parliamentarian, who's kind of like a nonpartisan judge who settles partisan congressional disputes, decided that Pelosi's statement was in violation of the obscure rule. However, the parliamentarian, like the resolution itself, has no real authority to actually do anything, so the Democrats voted to override the parliamentarian's decision in favor of Speaker Pelosi. The Democrats then passed the resolution condemning Trump's racist tweet. And so, Speaker Pelosi passed a resolution condemning the president for a racist tweet, that her condemnation of led to her being condemned for condemning the racist tweet that was ultimately condemned by the House resolution condemning President Trump's racist tweet. Sweet justice! However, after all the condemned dust settles on all of the condemnations, all the House resolution condemning President Trump's racist tweet actually accomplishes is condemning Trump's racist tweet. The condemnation comes with no consequences other than condemnation for the sake of condemnation. Retired Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens died this week at the age of 99. Justice Stevens, who was appointed to the court by Republican President Gerald Ford, would come to be seen as the leader of the court's liberal justices. Despite the public perception that he was the court's most liberal judge, Justice Stevens insisted that his judicial philosophy remained relatively consistent and that it was the Supreme Court itself that had become more conservative and more political. For more on the legacy of Justice Stevens, Barely Audible Whisper turns to Elena Kagan, the currently serving Supreme Court Justice who filled the seat vacated by Justice Stevens when he'd retired in 2010. Hello, I'm Supreme Court Justice Eleni Kagan, but since I'm not Brett Kavanaugh or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, no one cares. I like beer! That was Brett Kavanaugh, my Supreme Court colleague and Kermit the Frag impersonating rapist, but you already knew that because radically screaming through the rape allegation portion of your confirmation hearing is apparently the best method to becoming a Supreme Court Justice that uh, people are familiar with. It says on my calendar that I don't rape women! I convinced him to arbitrarily yell things so that I could hold your attention as a low-profile justice eulogizing another low-profile judge. 
It says on my calendar that I was downing brewskis with my brewski bro Squee and Squee's wife Squaw and Squee's twin brother Squee Squared. Despite his low profile, I went to Yale. Justice Stevens' 35-year tenure on the court was one of the most influential in modern history. He was ahead of his time on issues of LGBTQ rights, a staunch defender of due process, and the rule of law, a leading proponent of women's reproductive rights, and perhaps most importantly, he was a fierce critic of the partisan politicization that has changed the nature of the court since the 1980s. Stevens believes... This is boring. I want to drink beer. I like beer! Let me help you, dear. That's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the high-profile antidote to Justice Kavanaugh. People are willing to listen to intensely boring legal subject matter when it comes from me. When I meet people and I tell them I'm Elena Kagan, they say who? And I say Elena Kagan. I'm associate justice with the Supreme Court. And they say, wow, you're a Supreme Court justice. And then just when I think they're interested in the fact that I'm one of nine people on the most powerful court in the country, they say, what's Ruth Bader Ginsburg like? Sorry I'm late, but I walked here from across the hall. It took me an hour. When do I get to drink beer? Justice Stevens was arguably the last justice in the long and prudent history of Supreme Court justices who believed, as our founders intended, that the role of the Supreme Court was to decide each individual case based on the specific merits of the legal arguments presented to the court without regard for partisan politics. He was appointed by a conservative president, but came to be known as a liberal justice. Not because he became more liberal, but because the court became not only drastically more conservative, but drastically more obsessed with labeling justices as liberal or conservative. He served the court with great integrity and remained infinitely more dedicated to the principle of rule of law than he was to any point of partisan politics. There is a liberal conspiracy to destroy me as revenge for Hillary Clinton losing the election! Justice Stevens lamented the politicization of the court that has infected American politics since the Reagan administration and wrote a book warning of the dangers of a politicized judiciary several years before President Trump exponentially escalated the problem by appointing Brett Kavanaugh to the bench. Payback is a bitch! Thank you, Justice Ginsburg. That was significantly less boring coming from you. What can I say? I'm a rock star. of a racist tweet in which he called on four congresswomen of color to go back to their home countries, President Trump and his allies have tried to convince Americans that the president's racist tweet was not actually a racist tweet by accusing the Democrats of being communists who hate America. Although, accusing their opponents of hating America and labeling every idea they disagree with as socialist has been the hallmark of Republican messaging for decades, Baseless allegations of communism elevate regular Republican McCarthyism to a degree of McCarthyism not seen since McCarthyism. 
the reintroduction of hysterical accusations of communism as an escalation from metaphorical McCarthyism to literal historic McCarthyism is particularly weird since the ideology of communism has been dead for almost as long as Joseph McCarthy. For more on the resurrection of a dead ideology, Barely Audible Whisper turns to our faux gypsy, faux psychic, not impressive, who spoke with Republican Senator and poorly acted Tennessee Williams character, Lindsey Graham. Excuse me? Are you not impressive? sense by the essence of a poorly acted Tennessee Williams character that you are Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. I do declare. Your mystic, psychic whatnots give me the vapors. I am not impressive. Are you impressed? I reckon Speak not until you have heard and agreed to what am I about to reveal. I am not impressive. I predict the future. I am not impressive. I commune with the dead. I am not impressive. I charge $75 per hour. I reckon that's as valuable use as the taxpayer's money as a tax cut for billionaires. I sense that you have come here because of the vile racism of President Trump's tweeting. I do declare that is You wish to commune with your dearly departed friend, John McCain, that you may retain the courage to stand up to President Trump. Not impressive. That is not impressive at all. Why would I stand up to Trump when it's much easier for me personally to drag the country headlong into the insane, nightmarish hysteria of some good old-fashioned red-baiting? I see. You want me to help you with this red-baiting? Wow! It's like you knew what I was thinking immediately after I told you what I was thinking. Yes, I am not impressive, reader of thoughts that have already been spoken. Mm, you wish to spread the hysterical fear of communism, even though it has been almost 30 years since communism has been eating. Mm, I call upon the ghost of Joseph McCarthy. Mm, hear us, Joseph McCarthy. Guide us that we may manipulate the masses through an irrational fear of communism, even though communism is no longer a thing. <sighs> we are not now, nor have we ever been members of the Communist Party. Do declare, it's the ghost of Richard Nixon. You were trying to conjure the ghost of Joseph McCarthy, but instead you conjured the ghost of Richard Nixon. I'm not sure if that's impressive. I'm every goddamn bit as responsible for McCarthyism as Joe McCarthy was, and I'm much more goddamn recognizable impression. Oh, great ghost of Nixon. I am in a most contemptible conundrum. I want to stoke an irrational fear of communism, but there are no communists to be afraid of. The whole goddamn point is to stoke an irrational fear, and there's no more irrational goddamn fear than the fear of a goddamn thing that doesn't goddamn exist. I do declare, conjuring the ghost of Richard Nixon 
while trying to conjure the ghost of Joseph McCarthy in a transparent revitalization of an infamous political scare tactic is ever so much easier than simply standing up to Trump. I've got to get back to hell now. I'm orchestrating a break-in into Caligula's campaign headquarters to get evidence that Henry VIII made an advanced payment for the sexual services of Joan of Arc, effective the moment Jeffrey Epstein arrives. That, that sounds about, about right. You won't have the ghost of Richard Nixon to kick around anymore. Even this ghost is a self-pitying bitch. There's still one thing that worries me. The deliberate use of fear and misinformation to create a national hysteria whose paranoid fog can be exploited to criminalize dissent and destroy the fundamental civil liberties of the citizenry? <laughs> of course not. I'm just worried that such obvious parallels to McCarthyism will be impossible for even the most dyed-in-the-wool Trump supporters to ignore. I sense by the sheer volume of perilous historical parallels that Trump supporters have already willfully ignored that they will be too preoccupied with the red menace to see the giant red flag. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I just said that. I know, and I just repeated it. God damn it. Time every goddamn bit is responsible for McCarthyism. armed man in Tacoma, Washington was shot by police after he attacked an immigrant detention center with incendiary explosive devices. Please be a right-way lunatic and not an Antifa asshole. The man, identified as 69-year-old Willem Van Spronson, was a dedicated, longtime member of the liberal anti-fascist group Antifa. Damn it! Van Spronson sent goodbye letters to his friends and former Antifa activists. Please don't be a manifesto. Which included a manifesto. Damn it! The activist group Seattle Anti-Fascist Action posted a memorandum in honor of Van Spronson. Please don't call it a comrade or a, or a martyr. Referring to their fallen comrade as a martyr. Damn it! For more on this tragedy... And the tragedy of how this tragedy will be used to distract from the immigrant detention tragedy. Barely Audible Whisper filed the following report. I'm coming to you from Tacoma, Washington, where an Antifa asshole was shot and killed by police, making him the only one who was hurt in his stupid and futile attempt at committing a stupid and futile act of stupid and futile terrorism. Or is there reporting it at Fox News? Oh, God, this is so good. Oh, liberal firebombed an immigration detention center. All oh, the liberal hypocrisy is so undeniably obvious. Oh, God. The hypocrisy is indeed obvious and undeniable. And to make matters worse, this idiotic attempt at counterproductive terrorism came hours after a legitimate, peaceful protest mm. in front of the facility. Oh, God. Oh, we can link so-called peaceful protesters to terrorism. Oh, it's so good. So now, thanks to one piece of shit, anarchist, anti-fascist asshole, 
Supporters of the cruel and inhumane zero-tolerance policy that breaks up families and, de and detains innocent children in for-profit concentration camps have an all-purpose rhetorical whataboutism. Oh. oh, where's the outrage on the left? Oh, yeah. Oh, the left hates law enforcement. Or as Antifa is saying, Willem von Spronson is a brave martyr. Oh. You're not helping. Who sacrificed his life in the service of the anti-fascist cause mm. of being so anti-fascist that we fight fascism mm. with fascist tactics. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... The ACLU has uncovered new evidence that children are still being taken from their parents. The concentration camps are becoming even more overcrowded, and nothing is being done to improve the conditions in any of the camps. The news out of Colorado is even sexier. Time to get back in the saddle for more counterproductive liberal foolishness. Protesters outside of a detention center in Colorado pulled down the American flag mm. and, and hoisted a Mexican flag up Whoa. the flagpole. Mm, liberals hate America. They also raised an upside-down American flag, so oh. they painted with graffiti. Mm, they hate America so much. We took down the American flag because... Shut up! You're too stupid to have a point. I cannot honor the flag no. of a country. Shut up! Don't you dare echo Colin Kaepernick! Oh, they hate the flag. Oh, God. Fuck. Oh, God. Oh, this, this is just, just like, like Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick. God, this is nothing like respectfully kneeling in silent protest. Just, just like Colin Kaepernick. There you have it. While there's no telling how long American concentration camps will remain operational, one thing is absolutely certain. They will remain open a hell of a lot longer than they otherwise would have without the blatant stupidity of useful liberal idiots. I'm gonna burn an American flag. I'm gonna blow up a police car. I'm going to come again. <laughs> President Trump wrote a series of racist tweets this week which led Congress to condemn his racist tweets which led the Republican minority in Congress to condemn Speaker Pelosi for calling the president a racist, which she didn't. She called his tweets racist. Of course his tweets were racist, because he is racist. But you can't say that in Congress. Barely Audible Whisper has obtained audio from a social scientist's experiment to see why conservatives have trouble distinguishing between calling words racist and calling a person racist. Test subject? Whitey Cracker Milk. Hypothesis. That it is possible to train a conservative to discern the distinction between calling an action racist and calling a person racist. Mr. Cracker Milk, how would you define racism? Believing that someone of a different race white or otherwise, is bad in some way uh, just because of their race. Note, subject goes out of his way to include himself as a victim in his definition. Mr. Crackermilk, do you believe you're capable of racism? I'm not a racist. Please stay behind the glass. That's not what I asked, Mr. Crackermilk. Yes, you did. You called me a racist. Interesting. 
Simply hearing the word racism in a hypothetically phrased question triggered a defense response. This may be more difficult than I'd anticipated. Mr. Cracker Milk, do you believe you're capable of any bad behaviors? Of course, I'm not perfect. Do you believe you're capable of gossip? Maybe. Not as much as my neighbor, though. She gossips all the time because she's a drunk. Are you a gossip? Of course not. The subject is capable of seeing the distinction between being labeled a gossip and participating in the action of gossip. Mr. Cracker Milk, you called your neighbor a drunk? Do you drink alcohol? Yes, sometimes. Are you a drunk? No, I only drink on weekends, usually. How much does one have to drink to be labeled a drunk? Gee, uh, I guess if they're drunk more often than not? The subject is capable of devising a rational dividing line between one who receives a negative label and one who does not. This is progress. Mr. Cracker Milk, how frequently does someone have to commit racist actions to be considered a racist? I'm not a racist! Once again, simply mentioning the word triggers a response. Mr. Cracker Milk, have you ever cheated on your wife? Just once. This year, anyway. Are you a cheater? I'd say no. In the time you've been married, how many times have you cheated on your wife? Mmm, define cheating? For our purpose, let's just include all sexual encounters with a woman who isn't your wife. In that case, never. How is that? Oh. How many times have you had a homosexual encounter since marrying your wife? I'm not a homo! What? Please sit down. Once again, a defensive response. Fascinating. Mr. Cracker Milk, what's a kind of person you hate? Mmm, a thief. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, everyone steals in little ways, right? Most people, yes. That doesn't make them thieves. What makes a person a thief? I guess repeatedly stealing things over and over again. All right. Now, Mr. Cracker Milk, we're going to have this same conversation. But instead of theft, we're going to talk about racism. I'm not a racist! Okay, if you feel the urge to proclaim that you're not a racist, try to calm down. Listen to the words I say, and only answer the question I ask. Got it? Uh, got it. Have you ever had a racist thought? I'm not a racist! That wasn't the question, Mr. Cracker Milk. Have you ever had a racist thought? Well... Everyone has racist thoughts in little ways, right? Most people, yes. That doesn't make them racists. What makes a person a racist? I guess repeatedly having racist thoughts over and over again. Do you have racist thoughts over and over again? I'm not a racist! If a person has racist thoughts when they encounter people from another race, more often than not, is that person a racist? I'm not a racist! If a man has sexual thoughts about other men, more often than- I'm not a homo! If a person listens to country music more often than they listen to other genres, is that person a country music fan? I'd say so. If a person listens to Taylor Swift more often than any other artist, is that person- I'm not a Swifty! I like man stuff. Well, I think I can call this experiment a failure. New hypothesis. You can tell if someone's a racist by declaring their actions racist. If their response is, that was not my intention and I'll try to do better, they are not a racist. If their response is, I'm not a racist, they definitely are. <laughs> Thank you.
Abigail Disney, an heiress to the Walt Disney fortune, blasted the Walt Disney Corporation, over which she has no control, for ill treatment of employees at Disneyland Park, where she went undercover as an employee and discovered that Disneyland employees do not earn a living wage, despite record corporate profits and a more than $65 million salary for Disney CEO Bob Iger. An heiress confronting a greedy, wealthy character named Iger in defense of mistreated underlings at the happiest place on earth sounds way too much like a plot of a Disney story for us to avoid turning it into a Disney story. When you wish upon a star Makes a big difference who you are I don't work, but lots of money comes to me. Another enormous check came for you today, Princess Disney. Thanks, Magical ATM Machine. You're welcome. <coughs> You're welcome. <coughs> You're welcome. Oh. <coughs> oh. Why, what's wrong, Magical ATM Machine? You're coughing like the dickens. <coughs> oh, shall I summon the fairy god doctor? I can't afford the fairy god doctor, Princess Disney. I haven't got any health insurance. But you're an employee of the most magical multinational corporation on Earth. That's fine for Snow White, but it sucks for the dwarfs. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Our wages are so low. But I'm sure the fairy god doctor will treat your cough even if you don't have health insurance. Not covered, I know. You think I'll treat you when you cannot pay? Bippity boppity, no! That isn't right! This is not what my Uncle Walt Disney had in mind when he created this company. This is exactly what Walt Disney had in mind when he created this company. Walt Disney was a son of a bitch. called me a son of a B-word. Uncle! It is written that when a Disney character says a swear word, Walt Disney will be released from my cryogenic freeze. Yay! But I'm not even a real Disney character. Let it go. Let it go. Don't blow up the plot device. Let it go. Let it go. I was never really frozen in ice. Tell Magical ATM it's not true, Uncle Walt. Tell Magical ATM that you built a magical multinational corporation that cares about its employees and pays a living wage and doesn't use sweatshops to manufacture any of its toys. Oh, sorry, Princess, but the truth is I was a ruthless bastard who built a ruthless empire that's been run ruthlessly by ruthless bastards ever since I left. The idea that I was cryogenically frozen is just a rumor. But the fact is, my heart was always this frozen. My penis used to be bigger, though. That breaks the spell of the evil corporation! Yay! Now all of the Disney employees will be fairly compensated for their labor! No, it doesn't. 
It was just an observation. But you establish swearing as a spell-breaking plot device. It would be poor storytelling to ignore a device that you went out of your way to establish earlier. Damn it. She's right. You swore again! Everybody gets a raise! Yay. I may be an evil son of a bitch. Yay. Yay. But I'm too damn good of a Yay. damn storyteller Yay. to violate a storytelling principle that damn basic. Yay. Yay. If he keeps swearing like that, I'm going to be so rich, I'll have a magical ATM of my own. And so the Disney heiress and the ATM lived happily ever after. <laughs> Yay. Blissfully unaware that Disney will spend infinitely more money on a PR campaign to make it seem like they're improving conditions for their workers than they will actually spend improving conditions for their workers. Because let's face it, Disneyland ain't no damn Disneyland. Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, made possible by the following people, writer, co-host, and producer, Dave Baldwin, co-host and actress, Molly Brown, writer and actor, Daniel Carter-Brown, and actress, Ali Glonick. Please subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcasts, and follow us on your social media, and most importantly, share us with all of your friends. We love you and appreciate your support. <laughs> Yay. Oh, you're so funny. I love you, Abigail you... Disney. Oh, I love you. Give me money. Okay. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it's fast. <laughs> here, here comes more. <laughs> <laughs>